everyone. Welcome to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Ziwon Chong. Hey everyone, I hope you're well. Um, seems like the news is getting more crazy with each passing day, although I think we have a new definition for the words karma and irony in relation to the current USA of affairs. Um, I finally got my mail-in ballot, which I quickly filled out and dropped off at my local town hall, um, so that's out of the way for me. Make sure you vote, especially if you are living in the U.S. or if you are American living abroad. Make sure you get your absentee ballot and figure out a way to vote. I think this election is really important, um, although it's always been important. But yeah, please vote. I did get some new information about my returning to China, although right now it's a national Chinese holiday, so I don't have any classes to teach this week, and everyone's on vacation, including the Chinese embassy. So the instructions for renewing work visas are still very unclear. So some are waiting around, um, as has been the case for everyone. Um, I'll keep you updated. But for today, I am doing something a little different to celebrate the fact that somehow I've been doing this podcast for two years. This is the 52nd episode, and for the next three episodes... Uh, which I will be releasing every week instead of every other week, I will be revisiting three very special guests from previous episodes of this show. Each one of these guests has a very important significance to me. For this week's episode, I will be chatting with Taryn Idea, who I first talked to in episode 8, and I'll link that episode in the show notes. As a quick overview, Terrene was born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and is an internationally based fashion designer and the founder of Idea Dega. Terrene also has a bi-weekly column for the Pittsburgh City Paper, which she actually recently won a Golden Quill Award for in excellence in written journalism. This podcast had its most concrete beginnings in Pittsburgh, and I thought it would be good to be able to chat with Terrene about recent events in relationship to Pittsburgh, a city which I hold close to my heart. We also talk about some of the current events, protests, monuments, and so much more. Again, thank you to everyone who continues to listen to my rambling thoughts, and I hope you enjoy this. Okay, here I am. Here you are, <laughs> yeah, after, after two years, right? It's been two years. I think I left. Pittsburgh I think two a years lot ago. has changed in two yeah. years. I can't believe it's been that long. It's fast. I know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, a lot has changed. I mean, was I writing when you uh, left? I think you just started your column. I believe. Okay. You told me. Some. You told me that you got it, and then I forget if the actual posting of the articles came either right before I left to Berlin. Or right after. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's been taking up a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Any news how that's changed since we last spoke? Well, I guess a lot, the, the first and last time I was on your podcast, I had just started writing. So I was a contributing writer, columnist for the Pittsburgh City Paper, which is a kind of alternative weekly newspaper that still comes out luckily in print every week <laughs> despite covid but yeah so i have been i had been doing maybe one every two weeks so maybe twice a month and then for a little while i was doing one every week and um now and then i was actually furloughed i don't know if furloughed is the right word because i'm not a staff writer mm -hmm. but um my column went away for a few months mm -hmm. because of COVID and because of um, lack of advertising and lack of ability to pay to pay me. Um, so I just started writing again, uh, I guess in August. Yeah. 
after having a few months off. And so that's been really good. I just won a national award. I won the Oh, nice. Uh, Congrats. Thanks. Yeah. I won the Association of Alternative News um, <laughs> that title yeah. could either be good or bad. I know, right? Like alternative facts. Um, but like, the, but like, I guess all the alt kind of alt weeklies around the U.S. and Canada. U.S. So and Canada. Like over a, okay. Yeah, it's like over a hundred um, news outlets and papers and things. So I won best columnist. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, and I won my second Golden Quill for column as as well so i went in 2019 and 2020 for golden quail which is the kind of local news awards nice so yeah so it's been it's you know it's just been unexpected and i still have fun with it i feel very new um what do you mean like just as a columnist yeah, as a as a consistent writer, I've only been writing consistently for two years, so I feel very much like a novice. I am a novice, and I am like I'm doing a workshop for uh, a writing workshop for a local bookstore in a couple of weeks, and I was just like, "Why do you want me to do a writing workshop? I'm just learning how to write." <laughs> um, so I have taught primarily like fashion, fashion history. Um, fashion marketing, buying, things like that. So mm. I feel like that is where right, I have right. a master's degree. I yeah. have a master's degree in fashion design. Yeah. I have a bachelor's degree in business. I don't have a degree in writing. It's yeah. just something that I do. It's something that I like to do. It's something that I, I've now gotten, I guess, recognition for it. But I said, well, just let people know that I'm a novice writer. <laughs> So they don't get disappointed by my. <laughs> or you just got to fake it till you make it, right? <laughs> right exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, I guess the way that I teach and the way I've always taught is just it's, it's, it's a community mm-hmm. and it's a circular process. So it's not like me bestowing information yeah, from yeah. on high. It's yeah. more like this is what I do. Yeah. This is what I know. What do you do and what do you know? And how can we maybe create something interesting that we all learn from? So that's the way I'm going to do it. Right. And was the prize specific for the city paper column or was it sort of like uh, your entire body of work as a columnist? It's just for the city paper okay. work. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I'm curious. Yeah. Since you started, what have you what have you learned from that process? Were there um, any articles that you were most proud of or that you learned a lot from in the process of writing? Well, one thing that I've been really trying to do, and that's the hardest part for me as a black woman writing in a predominantly or white, a white led white legacy paper, probably having a predominantly white audience is I want to make sure that when I talk about blackness and I talk about black womanness. I want to make sure that there's a celebration and an understanding that I really love being a black woman. I don't want it to be voyeuristic. I don't want it to be painful Mm -hmm. and, and I don't want it to be like trauma porn. Like I want it to be very clear that, you know, the, the problem isn't me. (laughs) The problem is, is a white supremacist patriarchal system. So I think about that a lot. And so I like, my favorite columns have been actually the last two, um, maybe because those are the ones I can remember <laughs> clearly more so than some of the other ones. I do like the very first column when I introduced myself and I just kind of said, this is me. Um, mm. And it was kind of, you know, funny, like the girl sitting in the airport with with books and not an e-reader, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the last two columns, the, 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 the most recent column last week, I actually didn't write that much in it. I interviewed two indigenous women and I was talking to them about what they feel the indigenous experience is in Pittsburgh, as well as talking about Christopher, um, let's get lost Columbus and what to do with the statue. (laughs) And then the, the column before that was talking about what is the proper way to protest Mm -hmm, and just kind of challenging that whole idea that there is a proper way because depending on where you stand, no, no one, especially no one in privilege or in power is going to 
be happy with any form of protest. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I think I was, I quickly read through those articles. Those are the first things that popped up when I typed your name in. And <laughs> okay. what I, what I really enjoyed about it, it was just sort of the, um, yeah, the nuance and the way that you talk about it. And yeah, I mean, I also liked how you brought in two different perspectives for the, the, the Columbus statue. Yeah, I didn't. I, I feel like, you know, it's so funny because someone on Twitter saw the saw the, the piece and just like, did you ask an Italian and American what they thought about the Columbus statue? Why Italian American? Because uh, this Christopher Columbus has come to represent Italian-American pride and heritage mm. for some reason. Um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, my, my theory is that it was, it was their white card. It's, it's, it, it was a white card that they, Italian. um, there's, there's a, there's okay. a bit of controversy around <laughs> that, whether he is or, or whether he isn't, okay. um, All Italian-Americans right. definitely claim him. Okay. All right. And, um, like, I, I, I think, I think it's because they, because Italian-Americans faced immigration, yeah. discrimination. Um, I feel like Christopher Columbus kind of represented their yeah. uh, white card. Um, so a lot of these statues, like like this one came up in the, in the 1950s. These aren't old statues. These are statues that represent a kind of pre-civil rights era statement of we are white and we are down with your whiteness <laughs> and we want to be part of the club. <laughs> so, Can you quickly tell the uh, listeners a little bit about the history of the statue in relation to Pittsburgh? Yeah. So the Christopher Columbus statue, which is now um, in Shinley Park, which is somewhere between the university kind of area of Oakland and then moving into the park and then a more residential area east of that in Squirrel Hill. And it is actually right next to a really beautiful the Phipps Conservatory and Botanical Gardens. But it came up, it, it, it's been there since the 1950s. And it's been controversial even before that because there was a statue, an attempted statue for, of Christopher Columbus that was supposed to come up, I think, in the 1920s or 1930s in Pittsburgh as well. But Pittsburgh has some very specific kind of European cultural neighborhoods and areas and identities, and Italian-American is definitely definitely one of them. So you have Bloomfield Days, which is part of like the little Italy area. And so there is a sense of of pride. There is a sense of um, identity and a sense of kind of putting a flag up, saying this is this is who we are and this is part of mm. of our. I mean, and, and I'm I'm just gonna use my language. It's it's putting their foot into the white settler yeah. kind of mm-hmm. um, um, history because Italian Americans weren't really a part of that you know, settling of America, but the need to identify with that white settler kind of uh, mythos is something that is just so incredibly sad. Yeah, it's it's ubiquitous and it's really sad. (laughs) But there was a hearing, I guess, last week um, Uh because the Arts Commission, which is a um, a point that the, the commissioners are appointed by the mayor and they are the ones that they don't decide, but they recommend what public art mm. should exist. And to their credit, they really pushed to have a hearing because I think that the city was kind of trying to avoid it. The um, the mayor is um, is uh, Italian American, and so I think, and he's up for re-election next year. So I think that um, he was particularly sensitive to this issue, and in my opinion. <laughs> wanted to kind of push, push the issues, kick, kick the kick the can down the road and not deal with it. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see what the commission, what the arts commission recommends. Yeah. Um, whether to, so I think it's keep it, replace it, remove it, remove it. And there's one other option that, that they're looking at that I can't remember. Was it vandalized at all? Um, there's been some spray paint. I think it's spray painted fairly consistently. Mm. But it's still standing, which, you know, in a lot of places, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> yeah. The Pittsburghers tend to follow the rules, so. Do they? Or not. I think so. Okay. I mean, like, things like that, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. traffic laws, no. Yeah, but, I was about you know, to say the Pittsburgh left. 
Yeah, yeah. Traffic laws, people don't. But things like this, if 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 the uh, big structure, yeah. government, foundation, company says not to do something, then people generally don't do it. It's very yeah. much that company town mentality. Like yeah. the boss said no, so I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then I also noticed you've been writing a lot for other different um, organizations. You mentioned you had some posts for Remake um, Learning. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not really sure how, I think, you know, I'm, I think part of the writing, so September was a big writing month for me. I'm not really sure how it this, happened, this, but this I, September. this past September. Okay. All right. So I got a bunch of freelance writing jobs. So, um, I'm, I, I did two pieces for remake learning and mm-hmm. I think that might've come from either a recommendation from someone or just people reading my tweets and deciding that I could write about particular educators who are, who are African-American who are working on diversity and inclusion stuff. I'm working on some pieces for the office of public art about uh, public art projects. I've I've written an essay for the Pittsburgh foundation annual report talking about three artists who were impacted by COVID-19 and talking about that experience. I'm writing some blog pieces for the Frick um, museum in Pittsburgh. So those are like the the kind of one-off kind of things that have happened, but I've also written book reviews for the Pittsburgh post-gazette Although I don't think they're going to have me write anymore. <laughs> Why? They, your your piece wasn't uh, didn't get a good reception from them. Um, I got I got a good reception, but since then I've been really vocally supportive of um, Alexis Johnson, who is a reporter who who was told that she couldn't write about the yeah. protests. Yeah. Um, I read that, so that that made national news. I think it did. It really yeah. did. Yeah. So for um, those of you who weren't following uh, the, the Pittsburgh post, cause that was beginning to censor certain um, writers from even talking about the black lives matter movement, or I think the, the writer, she just wrote on Twitter. Right. And it was, yeah. Uh, when I read it, it wasn't even particularly egregious or anything. Yeah. It was just a, it was a tweet. It just went really viral. It was a tweet that went extremely viral, and it was it wasn't even talk. It was talking about it. It was a photograph of the aftermath of a Kenny Chesney concert, mm-hmm. which is notorious yeah, yeah. for really being messy. Mm-hmm. That, that's just <laughs> one way to like, put it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, it was kind of like, wow, look at these horrible writers and it's like oh wait no that's a kenny chesney concert so you know as long as if it's white people being 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 violent and yeah. messy that's fine so um or the so philadelphia eagles the, doing you know messing up the streets or boston red sox when they win right people messing yeah, up the streets is fine yeah if it's celebrating white supremacist patriarchy it's fine you can do whatever you want but if it's something else then then it's a problem so um yeah so since then I haven't been asked to write another book review, um, not surprisingly. And then I also have written some pieces for Public Source. Mm. But primarily, it's the city paper. And I do yeah. two, two columns a month for that. Yeah. And as mm. is there any update with what's happening in the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette? Have they just clamped down and not? Well, what I saw was the managing editor has been, for all intents and purposes, demoted. Oh, oh they um, have been. Yeah, okay. but that was just like in the last couple of days. Oh, okay. Um, there the 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 a news guild I believe has approved a strike v- vote, and um, there's a new executive editor that's come on board. Okay. Editorially, ownership is still extremely, you know, centered Trump supporting. So I'm not sure what 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 really is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Yikes. Yeah. And now, and, and, you know, in Pennsylvania is such a key state in the election in Pittsburgh is so important, but Pittsburgh and Philadelphia are needed in order for Biden and Harris to win Pennsylvania. They have to win Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and it has to be really big. So to have, uh, well, we don't even, it's not even a daily paper anymore. It doesn't even come out every day, but to have the largest paper be in this. Pro-Trump. Trump, yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, terrifying. And then, and there was a big rally at the Pittsburgh airport, um, yesterday for Trump. Trump was here. Really? Oh God. Yeah. So there were thousands of white people all 
standing next to each other without masks on and all of that. Um, Yeah. So. Got Yeah. Yeah. I'm just curious. So what have you been up to in terms of, you know, when all the COVID stuff happened, how has that affected your daily life? And um, Mm -hmm. and then as well Mm -hmm. as with the uh, recent protests, I'm just curious, you know, how has that affected Pittsburgh? Yeah. Um, Well, I can, I kind of wouldn't mind going backwards a little bit to January, February. Oh, before, (laughs) before. Okay. Yeah. And then I can talk about Oh yeah, go for it. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) yeah. In January, I was in India. I was in Goa, oh, India. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you had a residency, right? Yeah. Yeah, I had a I had an artist residency in Goa, India, and so I was working in a really beautiful place and working on jewelry, working on ephemeral jewelry, where I was taking things that I found on the ground, dried leaves and flower petals and things like that, and making jewelry out of it. And then photographing them and then showing them and then taking them apart and putting all the pieces back onto the ground. And it was really good for me. In some ways, it was preparing me for COVID without realizing it was preparing me for COVID. Why? (laughs) Because it was taking away the ownership of creativity. It was Mm. taking away the ownership and the preciousness of what Mm. I make. Mm -hmm. Um, And it took away some of the seriousness. Not that it's not serious. But it took away the the life and death mm. kind of emotional attachment to everything. Like, oh my gosh, if I don't make this thing, or oh my gosh, you know, yeah. the, it doesn't fall right, or the sleeve is wrong, or something like that. Like a yeah. lot of it was like, oh, so this stuff is all just temporary. It's all temporary. Yeah. So it was really healthy for me in that way. And I was, and I, and I think about it often. Yeah. And I've actually am I'm recreating the same process here, collecting things from the ground in Pittsburgh, nice. making things and then taking them apart and putting things back um, into nature. But um so in January there was this buzz about a virus <laughs> and it was going to be everywhere. <laughs> and we were like a bunch of artists kind of playing in the woods like what? What do you mean? La, la, la. <laughs> and I so we ended I want to say February 1st or 2nd the okay. residency ended that's right when it so, really started happening that's when it really started happening so I had I had moved from the kind of the place that we were in the woods uh-huh. and I had moved to a little hut on the beach because I was in Goa so just right on the Arabian Sea and so then I had a little beach hut for about four days like four nights and two days before I was supposed to leave I got an email from the airline I can't remember which one they canceled it I took no I thought I I thought it was going to be that but it said you may have a hard time getting back into the country you may have to quarantine you may have Mm. to you might not be allowed back in so it was all like it was very like yeah, you know, we yeah. don't know what's going to happen to you, but we'll fly you back to New York. <laughs> but what happens after that? We don't have anything to say about it. So I'm emailing my family. I'm like texting people like I may be stuck in the airport. I may be quarantined. I'm not really sure what's going to happen. I'm I'm going to get on this flight. I'll I'll let you know when I'm getting on the flight, so you yeah. know I'm en route. But I might not be able to talk to you for you know several weeks. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I might yeah. be like in this hospital. So I had no idea what was happening. Yeah. So we get to the U S and I just walk off the plane, just walk through TSA, yeah. just walk through immigration, yeah. grab my bag and I am out of the door. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just hanging out in New York city. Like, wait a minute. Does anyone not, what does no one know that this horrible virus is coming? And it was like that. So I was like in the state of you guys, there's this virus and it's coming and we have to be ready. So I started buying canned food. I started, but I was like walking around with gloves and hand sanitizers. Um, I, I, I didn't, I didn't have the mask thing yet, but I was just kind of like waiting, waiting, waiting. And then so six weeks later, basically March 13th, March 12th or 13th is when the lockdown actually started in Pennsylvania. And I was like, thank goodness. Finally, <laughs> People are finally serious about this. I was so relieved 
that it finally we got into a lockdown, but I was so angry that it took so long. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I wasn't like India did not have any cases. I'm lying. I'm lying. The day before I left India, the first case was reported Mm. in India, but I was just like, why doesn't anyone else think that this is serious? Mm-hmm. And then I remember also telling people, um, America is going to be the worst p- place to be. I wish I had stayed. I wish I had stayed overseas. I wish yeah. I hadn't come back. Yeah. And now it's like what America is like 2% of the, of the world it's and like crazy. 25% of the cases. Amer- Amer- American exceptionalism. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like, again, like taking that Pittsburgh as Pittsburgh has a company town, mill town kind of mentality. When the initial, you know, reports, the initial um, lockdown and like stay home, people, I felt really followed it. I think people really took it to heart and did what they were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And as a result, initially, there weren't a lot of, of cases. And it felt like we were in this golden triangle, you yeah, know, between yeah. the Ohio, Monongahela, and Allegheny River. We were like in this valley of relative security, yeah, false sense of security, because it didn't seem like the cases were that bad. Of course, we also didn't have a lot of testing and all those other things that 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 would have actually that we should have been having, still don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like people really did did slow down. Part of the problem for me was the way that in Pennsylvania, Governor Wolf did a red, yellow, green kind of phasing. So the first phase was red, which was, you know, like only go grocery shopping, basically. Okay. Um, and then yellow, it felt like there was, it was a lesser uh, restrictions. And then green, which still had restrictions, but because of the wording, you know, red means stop, yellow means caution, green means go. So green meant go to a lot oh, of people. So, so everyone just went all and, out. And it was like full speed ahead, we're done. And I don't think we've been able to like reel it back in since uh, then. Yeah. And so now restaurants are are more open. I think they can do like twenty, like fifty percent occupancy. Um, there's this weird like you have to wear a mask unless you're eating <laughs> kind of thing. So you know, like. When you're sitting down inside in enclosed spaces, you can talk away and drink and laugh and yeah, spread yeah. spread the virus to, to your content. You know, testing is still not ubiquitous. Schools are back in session. A lot of them, you know, we don't have a lot of testing as well there. So we don't really know. We don't really have a sense of how many people are sick. And, yeah. you know, it's just, to me, it's more um, waiting for the other shoe to drop and for fall and winter to be kind of scary, I think. Yeah, because everyone's going to be stuck inside, right? Yeah, yeah. And at least spring and summer, there was a, like, you could, like, I, I would, the only thing I would do is I would take walks in the morning and I would go to the grocery store every, like, 10 days or every two weeks. Yeah, yeah. That first, like, March, April, kind of March, April, May, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I to be honest, I was, I mean, it's great that you foresaw that U.S. would be hit the hardest. I didn't. I didn't think. I, I mean, I wasn't thinking. I just sort of like. I, I don't know how it was play out yeah. at all. I did. I. I. I just. Just as you said, American exceptionalism. You know, we have the worst. The worst president that we could have at a time like this. Just the worst president. Period. Um, I don't think there's and, any time where this current president could do a good job. There is no, there, you're right. There, there, there is no time, but it just feels like a perfect storm of, yeah. of tragedy. Um, yeah. 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 And then when, when all the stuff happened with the protests, how did, how did uh, Pittsburgh yeah. react to that? Yeah. So I feel like it was it's interesting. Um, I was doing a fellow, a, a fellowship, with a um, local arts or actually two local arts organizations. And the, the Monday after George Floyd was murdered, we had a virtual meeting mm-hmm. and it was a situation where, again, like these white legacy, white led organizations, they'll, they'll say, well, we know this really, this really bad thing happened. Some people are sad, but we, but, but we're all still meeting and we're still doing the work. 
So it felt very disconnected. Yeah. And I remember just being really angry about it. And again, just kind of like a tale of two cities, a tale of two countries. And the expectation that if it doesn't affect the power structure from which an organization is dealing with, which is primarily white, then it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. as much. And so I felt like that was the initial thing, this sense of this is what happens in America. But then there was a tide that turned where it felt like there was something about the time and having it all on video and having it being so lopsided that it just felt like it was the straw that broke the camel's back and really inspired people here and around the world to actually like stand up and, and say something and do something and to do it in the midst of a pandemic of, of one of the pandemics. I mean, obviously racial violence, state sponsored racial violence is, is also another pandemic mm-hmm. that black and Brown people deal with um, every day. And so there was a lot of youth led and Black queer-led protests that are still going on that was a consistent presence. Um, They had a thing called Civil Saturdays, a group put together that every Saturday, Black, young, queer-led group of, of young people were just protesting all over the city. And I feel like people have started talking about Black Lives Matter in a way that is both a meme that's lost some of its meaning, yeah, as well as really making an effort to educate and to really do something. I think both things are happening at the same time. Um, I do feel like there is a renewed interest in police abolition and or defunding the police or police reform at the same time where a lot of local governments are a- actually spending more money on state-sponsored violence against people. And I think that, you know, as we look to the fall and winter and increased unemployment potentially that is going to be related to weather and, you know, some of these restaurants that are able to be open because they can have patios are not going to be able to serve people in the same way as they they can now. Um, When we look at more and more evictions coming and there's going to be increase in homelessness. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel like people are going to really start even focusing more on protesting and fighting against this violent capitalist society. I don't know how it's going to play out. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm hopeful, (laughs) but I've, I mean, if I say, if I, I have to admit that I'm, I'm scared, it has to happen. I haven't. I didn't go to any protests because I'm staying with with my elderly father, who's 94 years old and has a respiratory issues. So I didn't feel like being in a in a group of people, even though I know that they were very responsible and and masks were required yeah. and things like that. I've been in the I'm not going out very much camp the whole, yeah. this whole time. So. Yeah. But I've been just trying to spread the word and writing about it and doing what I can, just not having my boots on the ground. Yeah. I mean, we all we all have to do things, you know, in ways that we can do things, right? Yeah. I, you know, I always say, you never can do enough, right? Yeah, and there's, um, I mean, and there's something about, you know, there there was this energy around, you know, you have to do these things, you know, you have to be marching, you have to be voting, you have to be all these things. I just feel like. There's so many different levels and ways for us to be active that have to fill in the blank, whatever that have to thing is, is not necessarily the only or the right way right. to do things. So part part of, part of my internal process with COVID is just trying to be a, more compassionate with myself and others to understand what people are capable of or willing to do and letting people just being honest with themselves and whatever they're down with, that's fine. And if it's something that I'm not down with, I don't have to fuck with them. Like, (laughs) you know, and they don't have to fuck with me either. Like we don't have to be friends. (laughs) We don't have to, you know, be, be tight like that. I can respect whatever decision you make and how you want to 
hopefully reach your your liberation and freedom um hopefully includes as, as many if not everyone but um i'm a little bit less I'm, I'm a little bit less worried about what someone else is doing yeah and very 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 much more concerned about me being the best version of myself that is like love that's love filled and justice minded and um and inclusive and working on whatever issues I have that I do have, you know, as, cause there's so many things I have to learn. There's so much that I have to do that I'm so far from perfect. It's yeah. not even funny. Yeah. I heard someone once say like, you need, you know, you need to retreat to treat. Right. And if you're always, yeah. if you're always constantly, you know, doing this battle, you'll just get burnt out. And that's also not a good thing as well. No, no, it's not. And, you know, and I've been, and I've, you know, just had to have been alone with my thoughts, like like a lot of other people, and just kind of figuring it out. And and whether it's the design work and whether or, or the writing work, you know, thinking about how trauma plays in this and the pain of being in multiple pandemics at once. But then I was thinking about how, you know, people, especially from the African diaspora, talk about trauma being passed intergenerationally. Yeah, intergenerationally. And I said, well, if trauma is passed through, so is freedom, so is love, so is our joy. So I want to try to focus as Mm. much as I can on that. We know freedom. We know love. We know joy. So all of those things are also part of our intergenerational knowledge and and in our genes. So I've been trying to focus a lot more on that 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 legacy and not the trauma and not the pain legacy yeah and have you been how have you been doing trapped in your thoughts because something that i've noticed is that my my theory is a lot of artists and creative people are somewhat more prepared for it since we are often already in our thoughts all the time <laughs> and alone yes, and <laughs> i mean see what i gotta admit it i it was so funny to me to realize how much I like being by myself (laughs) and like, I was like, I don't have to worry about saying no to an outing because there's no outing. (laughs) I don't have to worry about making an excuse for not going to something because no one's going anywhere. And just to be able to, you know, sit, whether it's sitting in the studio, whether I was sewing or just looking at fabric, I bought embroidery hoops and embroidery floss. I've been teaching myself embroidery and just like, however, like instead of missing things that are outside, I feel like I'm becoming more and more and more like shut in Mm. and more like internal and condensed. And so actually when things started to open up, I actually felt more anxiety and more fear Mm. Mm-hmm. as things opened up than when things were on lockdown. Like I actually preferred it where I would just walk to the strip district yeah. and buy some things every 10 or, 15 or 14 days. Like that's when I felt a little bit more safe and secure yeah. than I do now. So yeah. So just going on walks and finding leaves that I then made a necklace out of or buying embroidery needles and, and spending that time like, which way does the thread go? Is it go this way or this way? Which angle is it to make that that steam stitch? Like I have been loving that so much and it's been so helpful for me to like reduce everything down. You know, I haven't done it. I didn't do any kind of collections. No, I did no fashion collections this year because I just didn't know how to try to sell clothes yeah. right now. And so it's just been like teaching myself how to stitch and how to make the perfect stitch mm. or how to make a stitch that will then look like a flower or how to make a stitch that's going to look like a letter, like wow. making it that small, which has been so great. And like taking walks and looking at leaves and going, Oh, I'm going to pick up this leaf or no, or, I'm going to leave that one there. I'm going to pick up this leaf. Wow. It just has been so good wow. for me, even though I don't have a lot of output to show for like, look at what I've created. Um, yeah. I don't have that. Do you pick fresh leaves, dried leaves? Yeah, it just changes based on what I see. Um, It started, I started picking up things around like 
sakura season for lack of a better word so all the flowers were in bloom the fruit trees were in bloom so i was picking up petals and anything that anything that was on the ground mm. i didn't cut anything or pick anything off a tree it had to be on the ground yeah. and, and that's what i collect so anything that that the texture the color it seemed like it that it would be interesting i yeah. would collect it and i it's it was it's been really cool but it also has made me think about like what to do in the future in terms of design and what kinds of things do, do I want to make as a designer yeah. from now on? And I still, I don't have the, I don't have the answers to that yet. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of news about the fashion industry sort of falling apart and all the seams are kind of showing itself. Although a lot, a lot of things have been, the seams have been shown <laughs> uh, through yeah. this pandemic or, you know, um, yeah. Um, a lot of the arts organizations, the whole freelance gig kind of fell apart. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, what I've seen with the COVID-19 is just sort of like we live in this bubble that like we always think that things will last forever and there's this stability, but but actually like things are more fragile than we think. Things are so fragile and we're so connected to even to complete strangers. Mm -hmm. Like we're so connected that we could kill each other just by being in the same room. Yeah. That's how connected we are. And so... That's been something that like that, like that fragility, I think, has been really important to understand. And I, I, I was talking to or it was someone on Twitter who had talked about how apocalypse means lifting of the veil. Um, mm. It doesn't mean the end. It means lifting of the veil. And so I keep thinking about how how many veils have been lifted, right. <laughs> how many stitches have, have come undone and how many how many slips are showing. Um, because the veil, the veil is has been lifted. Well, the, um, the other thing about the apocalypse is like apocalypse for who, right? Because for some yeah. some people, the apocalypse already happened, right? Like yeah, exactly. Of all the exactly. indigenous populations, like if you were part of the indigenous population, the apocalypse happened. Right? Your entire yeah community Nine got destroyed, and, yep. and your your yep. whatever beliefs you had were destroyed, and your idea of society has been destroyed, right? Yeah, 1491 versus 1492 mm -hmm. when when Columbus showed up. And then and someone actually had just posted something on Twitter where they were showing population loss and how 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 big of a population loss has occurred. And of course, they only counted like white events. And so yeah. someone quite rightly pointed out like, well, you didn't you didn't include the indigenous populations. You did not include enslaved African populations of, of this hemisphere. So um, it's, it's just the way the story is told. It's centered on this, on this white, this white narrative. And we still, and so like people are still stuck on that, even, even in this time. But I feel like, I feel like for me in terms of design, the thing that I feel good about is knowing that it is centered on women it's centered on women who all too often are ignored. So I still feel like there's a way for, for me to work with the Maasai women of Kenya and to work with the Oneida Indian nation and create together and collaborate together. I think what I have to figure out over the next couple of months is what kind of products and what things we're going to make. Right, because you 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 have your jewelry line, and that's been put on hold, right? I assume. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the jewelry, the clothing. I'm I'm not I haven't made anything new. Yeah. To sell, so that's something that is on hold. Like, for, so like the Frick has a piece that's up right now in in an exhibit, a necklace of yours. Um. Yeah. Okay. Of of the collaboration that's that actually coming down. Um. I think at the end of this month. And then the Carnegie Museum of Art is doing an exhibit called Locally Sourced. Uh -huh. So they're going to have pieces from local um, artists and makers. And oh, there's nice. going to be a piece of an evening gown from our collaboration oh, nice. uh, with the Maasai that's going to be in the museum starting um, in the fall. And it's going to be up for two years. So I feel like there's a relevancy to having indigenous and traditional textile arts presented and made um, in a contemporary way. I just have to figure out how to, how, how to do it yeah. respectfully in this time when traveling, because traveling was a key part of the collaboration. Right, right. Because you'd go there um, and spend time there. 
Yeah. How has those communities been affected by the virus? It's really, it's really, it's really difficult because they didn't have a lot of tourism to begin with, Mm. but they could at least have some people come to the community and you can sell enough to buy food. But without that, they really are, it's, it's, it's really just really difficult because they don't have an agricultural culture. They don't dig into the dirt and grow food. They they are herd um, animals, so it's um, it's it's difficult. It's really difficult. Mm. And then I was sort of interested in what you just said about like how important it is to represent these sort of uh, indigenous jewelry and designs in a contemporary setting. And I'm just curious, like, what do you think shifts when you do something like that? When you put like a Maasai or an Anida jewelry in the Carnegie Museum of Art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's actually really interesting because part of what I'm doing with the Frick is writing about, so in addition to having the, the necklace, which is Oneida and Maasai beading together in one piece that I designed with uh, Holly Gibson and Taea Lee. And for the blog, I'm writing about the fact that my grandfather was a coal miner in a Frick mine and the experience of my aunts and my dad growing up in um, a Frick mining town and then having the granddaughter of one of Frick's miners then having a piece of art in the Frick Museum and -hmm. what that means. So I feel like it's really, really important. And I also feel like having a collaboration of African Indigenous American and Black American women showing work that has been created, defined, and made as with a Black woman at the center of it in a place like the Carnegie Museum is extremely important because I don't know how many pieces of art that are in that museum have a, a Black woman at the center as the um, protagonist. <laughs> and also with the maker community and the maker movement and the, and the co-opting of the word of the term, I think it's also doubly important to Mm -hmm. have black and brown women as the makers, because somehow that has been taken away. (laughs) Makers, maker spaces and universities. Right. Right. Maker spaces. And then you have to be a white guy with beard and tattoos and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing where it's just like, you're the last people to make anything. How do you get to be the ones to claim that title? So, yeah. So I think it's important. And I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very curious to see how it all comes together. So what, when is the thing going up at the Carnegie? I think it's going to be November. Okay. I think it's, I think it starts in November. Yeah. And so people can visit it and physically it's opened. Yeah. They have, if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to think if the Carnegie has time tickets. Hmm. I think that they either have time tickets or and or reduced numbers of people who can go. Yeah. I haven't been to the Carnegie in months. Yeah. I don't I I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid to go anywhere. <laughs> I'm afraid to go anywhere. I don't even know like if I'm gonna even go to the opening. I'm just gonna like the opening would Maybe be the, the worst off. time to go, I think. Right? I know, exactly. I feel like I'm just going to give him my stuff and just say, okay, have fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll see you. Just send me a picture or something of it. Yeah, Photoshop yourself in and it'll be like you're there. <laughs> exactly. The documentation is all that matters, right? Right. Virtual reality. Give me a VR visor. Yeah. yeah. And then you also, the other thing that I know you're working on is you have this podcast that you're working on with two other other people. Yeah, so we are a group of three artists and we are the Other Border Wall. And Other Border Wall came from a RFQ where we did a... uh, It's a request. It's not request for proposal. It's a request Uh. for... Something. Okay. It's a request for something. Query? For, yeah, something like that. Okay. And so we actually submitted designs for the Trump, quote unquote, the Trump mm. wall in 2017. But our walls were actually walls. So we designed a string of hammocks and pipe organs, water wells, and things like that. So we 
did, did this protest submission. And ever since then, we've been working on pieces and projects where we're looking at bridges and borders that people face both in coming to the America, but also in Pittsburgh. So we, we worked with people in Laredo, Texas. We've worked with people in Houston. We're going to be having an exhibit. It was supposed to be this, this fall, but it will be next year in the cultural district of our work, as well as Latinx um, and Laredo um, and Texas-based Latinx artists who will be coming and showing their work here in, in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh along oh. with some, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, along with some of our some of our work. So we thought we've talked to so many people, we've met so many people, and our project that we were supposed to be doing this spring and summer, which was like this art making, public engagement, it was what we had all these things planned that we've had to basically cancel. Mm-hmm. But we still wanted to engage people and talk to people and share our work with people. So like all the cool kids, we're starting starting a podcast. (laughs) Yeah, and every every institution promoting diversity. Every institution, every celebrity, everybody. So, but we're going to do like a a 20, maybe like a 20 episode podcast where we talk to some of the partners and people that we either work with we want to work with or who have inspired our work. So we're really excited just to talk to people about what life is like at the border between U.S. and Mexico, what life is like as a new immigrant coming to Pittsburgh, what arts organizations are doing, what um, immigration rights organizations are doing, and just kind of cover as much territory Mm -hmm. as we can. And hopefully it will lead up to our actual exhibit opening sometime in 2021. Hopefully, we'll see what happens. And and uh, <laughs> how's the recording process so far? It's good. We have one episode in the can. Okay. We have one episode recording coming up on Friday with the local, well, now local artist, but he's from Los Angeles, an amazing, um, amazing artist. Really excited to talk to. And so we have we have like three that are booked. Mm. So we'll have four episodes recorded and ready in the next two weeks. Okay. So that's not so bad. No, it's not. <laughs> we have a long way to go. But um, so we're working on like re- like recording a, a, a song. Um, Jennifer um, Myers is one of the artists in the, in, the, in the trio, and she's also a musician. So she's working on, oh, the, nice. on our theme song. Yeah. And then do all three of you interview or you take turns? You all three talk at the same time? Well, the first episode is me interviewing Jennifer and Leah. And so this next episode is going to be primarily Jennifer and Leah interviewing the artist. And I'll be more of like the producer slash editor. And then the next artist is someone that both Jennifer and Leah had gone to Texas and Mexico to meet with so then i'll be interviewing him and them so yeah. it's going to be kind of a mix of different things so hopefully it'll it'll flow well um you can always cut it, it to it make it sound like it flows well that's, <laughs> that's what I, that's true. what that's what i've learned over two years things okay, things okay. things after sound a lot more smooth than they are <laughs> in my head i don't know you know i'm very critical of of myself well, it's funny too because just a lot of my writing is is, is op-ed opinion mm. and essays. But when I have to interview people, what I realize is that people don't speak in complete sentences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People, you know, all these different things. So when I'm writing and quoting them, there's just a way where I have to be like not adding words into their mouth, but it's kind of like they say, "Well, you know." I have to go, well, what do you mean? Or And sometimes I don't even catch it while we're talking, so they, I don't ask that clarifying question. Mm-hmm. But I know what they mean, so then I say, oh, well, you meant, you know, you meant zucchini. So yeah, is yeah. it okay if I just say zucchini? And they'll, oh, yeah, I meant zucchini. So I go, oh, okay. I'll just put zucchini in the sentence then for you. <laughs> but, yeah. So we'll see what happens. And it's going to be 20 episodes, you think? about 20 episodes okay yeah we'll see feel like it it'll take i think it could take like a year to get that that's maybe a couple a month 
Yeah, yeah. I would say one at a time, you know? That's the key. Yeah. That's the key to everything, right? Uh-huh. One at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Because otherwise it's just, it's um it's too much. And I feel like, like I was talking to a friend of mine who was just really been stressed out and having these physical issues. And I, you know, say, you know, you're, you're thinking like everything's the same as it was they're, this they're, time they're, last they're year. They're telling to you? I'm saying to them, oh, 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 like, okay, okay. like you're still trying to go, you know, a hundred miles an hour mm-hmm. and you're riding a tricycle and with like two wheels, like you need to just understand, like we are, this is a ridiculous situation. Mm-hmm. And I mean, part of like our capacity to adapt is both amazing and treacherous mm-hmm. because we can so quickly adapt and that's why our species has taken over the planet for better or for worse but we need to just like pause and calm down a little bit yeah yeah (laughs) no i hear you i hear you um anything else that we missed uh Um, so this is the thing so in april when People were talking more and more about masks and wearing masks. There was a big push to get people who could sew to make masks. Yeah. And yeah. I I did not want to start making masks because I knew if I made one, I'd have to make a thousand. Uh-huh. And I re- and I also thought that the ma- mask or something that the government should be providing to everyone for free. So there was something about making masks and selling them that was bothering me. So I didn't want to do that. And there's nothing wrong with it, but I just didn't want to do it. But I wanted to do something that was making, that was fashion related, but that was in community. So I was thinking about ways that we could be socially connected and creatively connected, but physically distant. Mm. And so I thought about the kind of African-American quilting tradition and collecting scraps of fabric and making something into one piece. So I started the OM project and OM is O-A-M. Ohio, Allegheny, and Mongahela. Okay. So it's the three rivers. It's gonna, and it's a garment that is going to have the main body is the Ohio River, the left sleeve is the Mongahela River, and the right sleeve is the Allegheny River. Mm-hmm. And people have been submitting four-inch pieces of fabric and mailing them to me. And all those pieces are going to be put together to, to uh, form this garment. So, um, and I have about a hundred pieces, about a hundred pieces of, of everything from people just cutting up a piece of a pillowcase to really elaborate embroidered pieces to screen printed pieces. And all these pieces are going to come together and make this garment called the Ohm mm-hmm. garment. So that is what I'm going to be spending October doing. I'm going to be sewing that. Okay that together so that's been like my other creative outlet this would be one huge garment or it would be multiple yeah okay it's one garment yeah it's going to be one garment with all these different pieces of fabric from all over the size of that would be enormous right yeah so this so the sleeves are going to be really long Mm. because it's good because they represent the rivers so you're going to have it's going to have trailing sleeves and then a long train Mm. And all of the so the pieces are going to be like all scattered yeah. all over this this garment all, all over the garment. So um, it'll be like a tea kimono kind of robe kind of feel to it. And so would you have it like on a mannequin with the sleeves sort of flowing out, cascading on the floor? Yeah, mm. yeah. Before yeah before the end of the month before I like when, when it's finished, I want to have it modeled, mm. um, at the, at the confluence. Um, I have some ideas about who I'd like to have wear it, but, um, yeah, we'll see how it goes, <laughs> get it photographed. And, um, but there's some amazing things. There's people who someone submitted a piece of fabric that was, she had made her husband, she, she had made this woman had sent in this little square of a seersucker cotton, and it was a piece of fabric from her late husband's favorite pair of pajamas. There was a woman who um, just um, finished chemo for cancer and she had been crocheting and she crocheted a piece that she sent in. Mm. There was a woman whose sister was a fashion textile student in New York 
and she um, sent all of her sisters um, fabric swatches from mm-hmm. her textile painting from the 1960s. And her sister had died right after she graduated from college. So there's all these amazing stories around each piece of fabric that it's really been when I get it and when I open it, open up the envelope and read the letter about what the fabric means and who made it and what the meaning is. And it's been such a way to connect with people and it's provided such a sense of joy for me. Mm. It's like the surprise. It's like this amazing surprise. I think and I, can, I, can so, send, I can send something to you. Oh, yay! That would be I, so cool. I think I got your email when you sent it, but I remember being like, I don't have any fabric that I feel like has an interesting history. But then I just thought of something, so I can send you something. Yay! Oh, that would be so great. Yeah, I'm really excited about putting it together. I'm also nervous because people have trusted me with, mm. this, with these fabrics. So I want it to be really good. I yeah. want people to be proud of it and feeling like I, I'm glad I contributed to this project. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited about it. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Yeah, you have to let me know when you end up photographing it. And yeah. I will. I'll definitely let you know. Yeah. Anything else? Okay, that's really it. (laughs) (laughs) My COVID brain takes a while to get all the things together. Um, What are you doing? (laughs) What are you looking forward to? Like, what is your next? I don't know. What is your fall going to be like? Well, like we were talking right when we started, um, at least at the time there was record- this recording, I just found out that I'll be able to go back to China. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. after that, I don't know. Yeah. Otherwise, not much. Yeah. Not much else is new with me. I'm still trying to figure out the, the future of this podcast. Mm-hmm. You know? um, so, yeah, I'm sort of doing this sort of one, one day at, or one episode at a time because uh, – it's getting close to the the uh, time where I'm running out of episodes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I have like yeah. a, I have like a, like a few months left, and then so I'm yeah. We'll okay. see what happens. Yeah. Well, I hope it keeps going. Um, I know that for me, I I and this might change. I I'll listen to a podcast before I'll do anything else. Really, like I'll I'll, I'll listen to a podcast. I'll I'll stream something at night. Mm. A lot of Zoom events I've been kind of tuning out of because it just feels like I don't want to sit in front of my computer <laughs> yeah. in this way where I have to be like present the whole yeah, time, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all night, like at night when I just kind of want to be relaxing. So I think for me, I've been turning more and more to podcasts. So the more content you produce, I'll still be I'll be listening. If you keep making them, I'll be That's I'll good. still be tuning in. Turning <laughs> away in my head. Yeah. Well, and it'll be interesting to see like what what life is like in China now too, because I feel like they uh, have been like actually successful in ways that America is nowhere near yeah, being successful yeah. and dealing with this. I mean, I think what we're also seeing now is like there's there's no perfect government, right? And that's been made even more this clear, true. right? And yeah, but I mean, like school just started this past week. It's a little weird because the university sort of wants to maintain a semblance of normalcy so all the students are in mm-hmm. the classroom together watching me projected in the uh, classroom but I'm not there and then they also put them in front of like a row of computers so they're all like independently zooming to me oh wow yeah so wow it's <laughs> a it's very different <laughs> Yeah, well, so. that's exciting. Yeah. Okay, wait. I have to ask this. Do you have a voting plan? <laughs> um, I'm registered for my town in New Hampshire, and I registered for a absentee voting ballot. And then I thought I'd be actually voting in person because it didn't look like I'd be going to China. But I'm going to China. But all the absentee ballot thing that's already all set. So okay, cool. Yeah, I've I've since coming back here, I've switched my driver's license to New Hampshire, so my oh okay my vote doesn't have as much power as say yours. <laughs> yeah, well, I actually had been holding on to my New York license 
because oh. I wasn't driving in Pennsylvania, uh, but I just got my Pennsylvania oh, license. Okay, that's good. That's good. A couple of months ago, so yeah. I'm registered and yeah. ready to to make my mark. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. hopefully, we'll be successful in getting rid of Trump. Yeah, yeah. My vote will just be added to the you know majority, but the vote doesn't count part, right? Okay. <laughs> oh yeah. America, America. Yeah. All right, Terraning. Oh, well, thanks for having me back. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. It's always uh -oh. great talking. And I thought this would be a good way to catch up, you know. And also, this for me, this was, you know, this is the two year of anniversary. And I thought it would be special to try to at least have an episode where I try to be somewhat current. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so like talking to you about like what's been going on, allow allowing us to kind of catch up about Pittsburgh and the specificity of Pittsburgh, which is also where I started the podcast. You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, well, time has really oh, so much has changed. I know in a short period of time. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. It was really good to see you. Thanks so much. Yeah. Be well and safe travels when you head out. Yeah. Um, Stay in touch. I will. All right. Bye. Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Z1 Chung. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website, www.seeingcolorpod.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Seeing Color Pot. If you enjoy this show and have the time, I'd appreciate if you could go to Apple Podcast or wherever you listen and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and gives greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again, thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.